Hi there, this is On Mike with Jordan Rich, and I must confess, I'm having more fun than ever doing this podcast as we roll into our second series of 100, and we're well on our way. By the way, if you'd like to reach me before we get rolling, it's jordan at chartproductions.com. Chart Productions is the home base of the podcast, my production company, and I'd love to hear from you there. You can also find me on Twitter, which is at JordanWBZ, and uh, for those who know me, you know why. (laughs) I still work at WBZ, the legend legendary Boston station and our Facebook page is simply Jordan Rich show on Facebook. And now today's wonderful guest. For folks in the biz, the broadcast biz in the Boston area, the name Chachi Lepret is very well known. He's been a fixture both on the air and behind the scenes for decades. Now, Chachi got his start way back with WBCN, one of the premier album rock stations in the country. Then he spent many years with another Boston radio tradition, the classic rocker WZLX. He's done it all, marketing, promotions, and all things Beatles, hosting a radio show called Breakfast with the Beatles for years, still on the air. And not only does he know everything about the Beatles' music, he is uh, rather personally connected to some of the Beatles as well. Chachi knows everybody. His roller decks is overflowing, and we're going to get to know him better right now. So, Chachi Lepret, let's go on mic. Well, this is going to be fun. Uh, you and I have crossed paths over decades and decades. That is correct, Jordan. It's a pleasure to be here with you. You are a legendary voice in radio, and oh. you do such great work on WBZAM and certainly here on your podcast, so I'm a big fan. Well, we're mutual fans here. Chachi Lepret is known for a lot of things, and that's kind of cool about you. You're not just a, well, we'll talk about the Beatles in a big way, okay. but you're also one of the most experienced behind-the-scenes radio guys who made things happen for decades. But before we get into all of that, let's talk about the name. Everyone talks yes. about the name. <laughs> Chachi was not a name I was born with. Uh, <laughs> I was born and raised in Cambridge, Massachusetts, not far from you know WBZAM Studios. And uh, uh, I, you know, radio for me, it all started with the Beatles, and that's how I, I suppose we should start. Uh, you know, right. I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show, February 9th, nineteen sixty-four. Uh, I saw the Beatles, and I wanted to be a Beatle like many, many kids. I'm mm. a first-generation Beatle fan, and uh, I was attracted to Ringo. He's up there on the pedestal, and he's playing these drums, and so I wanted to be a drummer. And, and it took a few, a few years, but I realized at a very young age, I'll never be a Beatle because there already are Beatles. But I was a huge fan of radio, and I would always carry my transistor, and I'd always hear WMEX, WBZ, WRKO, and I'd hear DJs interviewing the Beatles, and I, and I thought, and I was so lucky as a child, and even before 1970, I'm going to be a DJ so I can meet the Beatles. <laughs> okay. And then I, uh, you know, 1970, I went to Ringe Tech High School over by Harvard University. I walk, used to walk through Harvard to get to high school, so I kind of went to Harvard. Yeah, that's, that's and, good <laughs> enough for me. And, uh, and so I started listening to WBCN, because mm. uh, people were talking about the FM dial now. And this radio station was just outrageous. And this morning guy named Charles Lacordaire was outrageous. So, mm. you know, from, all through high school, I'd listen to, to uh, WBCN. And so I graduated high school in 75. I went to work for Polaroid. And you know this, Jordan. You get a job at Polaroid and people will tell you, you're set for life. Yeah. You know, work at Polaroid. You're done. By the way, look where they are now. <laughs> exactly. And so I did. I got a job at Polaroid in 1976, 77, something like that. And I, in 1980, uh, 81, I'm sitting at my desk in Waltham with my steel-toed boots and um, working with chemicals, acetone on film. And, oh, it was just awful. 
and I was making a lot of money. And so I wrote a letter to Charles Lacordera and at my desk. And I said, Charles, you know, I'm, uh, I love radio. I love WBCN. I'm a big Beatle fan. I'd love to work with you, although I have a job. I can't come in in the morning, but I'll come in after work. I'll do anything. And a few days later, I got a call uh, from a girl that was working for Charles. And Charles said, listen, uh, the woman said, Charles thinks your, your letter was great. I think it's really cute. Um, would you like to come in and work on the listener line? We can't pay you and take requests. And I did. And I worked there from 81 to 82 and I did anything back then. You could do anything. Mm -hmm. You could walk into a station mm -hmm. and, and, uh, you know, get them coffee and just to hang out. Just and hang no out. one was worried about labor loss, right. you know, right. <laughs> I was very blessed. And so I'd work a Polaroid from seven to three. I go to BCN and answer calls and, you know, go get tacos for, for the DJs and do anything. McDonald's. My first paid gig was sweeping the floor in the garage. And so, um, <laughs> and so I got a year after that and, and in November of 1982, I got a job. I was David Bieber's assistant, promotions assistant. David's been a guest on the podcast. Great man. He's an amazing individual. Brilliant. Yeah. And so smart. And if I could be half as smart as him, I'd be happy. I, I adore him. We're very close. We talk all the time. And so um, I started in 82 there as a promotions assistant. And so the DJs, rather than get into the details of contests on their own, They'd say, uh, Larry, come into the studio and tell us about mm. the contest so I don't have to worry about it. And so I'm like, yeah. So I'd go in and I'd say, okay, Charles, this is our contest. We're giving away this trip. And, blah, 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 blah. and so about a year into that, Matt Schaefer, the culture vulture. I remember Matt quite well. Great, great man. Very smart guy. He came into me and he said, you know, you need a name. No one's going to remember Larry. You need a name. You need a name. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, I have a name for you. We're going to call you Chachi. I'm like, you're kidding. Yes, Chachi's your name from now on. And it stuck. Was it the Joni Loves Chachi reference? Kind of, yeah. Okay. It was a little bit there because, uh, <laughs> you know, my dark hair, I'm yeah, Italian looking yeah. kid. You're Chachi. And it stuck. And now and my mother's 88, and she calls me Chachi. Well, it, it's become uh, your signature, your name, but it's a whole lot more than just the name. You have to back it up, and you've been doing that. Let's talk a little bit about what you were just describing. In those days, you were eager, as I was. You would do anything. There wasn't that sense of entitlement that we had. We just you know? figured, oh, if I can just be in the door, exactly. just to hang out for a few minutes with somebody like Lockwood mm -hmm. Era or mm -hmm. Matt. I don't know if that's completely changed. Part of it's just the culture of, of corporate business, but that was a cool time to be in the business. These guys were celebrities. BCN was the only game in town. Right. Everyone would listen. You'd drive down the street and Sergeant Pepper would be, uh, would be playing on the radio and everyone would have BCN on. Everyone talked about BCN and you were cool. Like I remember when I would, I'd take the BCN van home and people would beep and give you the thumbs up and <laughs> people know. would follow you. And it was a totally yeah. different uh, scenario back then. You know, you talk about desire to meet the Beatles. You actually have met and befriended and actually interacted with at least two Beatles, maybe three. Three, yeah. That must be a thrill. What was the first Beatle interaction you had? Well, the first... it. it you know, the funny thing is that um, I did interview three of the four. John was already gone, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. right. And the first Beatle that I talked to was Paul McCartney. In 1986, he put out a movie called Give My Regards to Broad Street. I remember. Not a very good film. Nope. But I loved it. <laughs> and I raved to him about it. 
Paul, I love this movie. And I remember it, uh, it was just, you know, the, the thing at BCN, you could play anything back then, right? Yeah. So Oedipus was the program director. And so in the mid 60s, I'm sorry, the mid 80s, <laughs> Oedipus comes up to me in the hall and says, hey, listen, uh, you like the Beatles, right? I said, yeah. He goes, and you have all this stuff? And I said, I have the records. I have bootlegs. I have memorabilia. Good. We're going to give you a Beatles show. You start on Sunday. <laughs> and that's how I got my first show called Get Back to the, Get Back to the Beatles. Wow. So it, things just sort of happened to, to you. Uh, By it's, not, it's not as though you were saying, oh, please give me a show. Please no. give me a show. No. That's pretty cool. So, so then that was the first time you had that a was chance the first. to get on the air and actually have a placeholder for yourself. Yes. And uh, through the show. It afforded me the opportunity to meet and interview people in the Beatles in a circle. George Martin, mm. uh, Pete Best and I became friends. Still are after all these years. He's been on the show many times. And then, um, you know, Oedipus walks into the room one day and says, listen, Paul is putting out a new movie called Get Back. I'm sorry. I give my regards to Broad Street. And they're offering junkets. You remember junkets? They were yes. great back then. Yes. You know, so... Uh, He's, and Oedipus was so generous because the other guy at, at the station, Tom Sandman, was the production guy, mm. and he was a Beatles fan. And so Oedipus was generous in that identifying what your interests were. And he sent uh, Tom Sandman and I to New York. So the night before, you'd see the movie. The next day, and we all stayed at the Park Plaza Hotel, and the next day, you interview Paul. Oh, and it was like you you'd go up to the floor. He had the entire floor, and DJs were lined up in the hall. And it was just, they had it down to a, an art. You you get 10 minutes with Paul. So they'd bring you in, you'd sit down, Paul's wearing like a lumberjack shirt, very low key, so nice, mm. asking us questions. How are you mm. guys doing? Where are you from? We had a 10 minute interview. They had a photographer taking pictures. They had a real machine, a mm. reel to reel. Mm. So at the end of it, uh, 10 minutes is up. They pulled the reel off. They handed you the reel of oh, your interview. Wow. And then you'd leave. So you didn't even have your own equipment. No, they no. had they controlled the they had it all. En environment completely. Yeah, and then okay. a week later in the mail, photos came, which I still have today. What a slick operation. Yeah. And I brought uh I brought sheet music to um uh, I saw her standing there and he autographed it, my first Paul autograph of many. And that was a whole experience. You know what's what's really cool about you have this ability and I think it's your personality and and your follow through to not just do a one off but you've had this long-standing off-and-on relationship professionally in terms of your broadcast career, and uh, you've gotten to know some amazing people. We'll get to another amazing individual, so Mr. Lucky. Bennett, in, shortly, but so isn't that a great deal? I don't know if there's a secret to it beyond just being a good guy and being sincere and wanting to know things that these people want to share. It was the love of the art yeah. of not only the Beatles, but the art of radio. Even my parents would say, you know, he was never without his transistor radio. There was nothing better than going to Radio Shack and buying a transistor. And you remember those little earplugs, the white ones with the wax on them because <laughs> yes. you used them so much. Yeah. Exactly. So I always had radio with me and I thought radio was an art and it was something I really wanted to do. And, uh, and I was just blessed with the desire because uh, I never went to college. I barely made it out of high school, and I shouldn't even be saying that, but uh, all through high school, I worked at the Cambridge Public Library right next to Ringe Tech. So I'd go to school, and then I'd work at the library, and the library, to me, was one of the greatest places to work. It was so quiet, but there were books and magazines that I could just peruse mm. all day. Mm. And so I worked in the stacks, putting books away, 
and I would study books on how to be a DJ. And I'd bring the books home, how to read commercials. And I have a terrible Boston accent. I have a lisp. I know I do. Uh, and, uh, but I didn't care. I wanted to be a DJ. Let's go back a little bit sure. and, and talk about your work behind the scenes. Because for people who are in the industry, we know what the term promotions manager or director is. But mm-hmm. I always befriended the promotions people, <laughs> not because I wanted free gifts. I did. I mean, I wanted the T-shirts. But I also appreciated the contacts you guys make with everybody from theater, television, movies, mm-hmm. to the sports teams, to the uh, to the restaurants. To, you just are the community connection. We really did. We were like one of the epicenters at the radio station. Being a promotions person is probably one of the most creative jobs, short of being a DJ, but one of the most creative and exciting and varied jobs you can have. We did so many things, so many outrageous promotions on WBCN, and I was in charge of them. And I couldn't believe my good fortune that I would arrange promotions like dropping uh, a 500-pound pumpkin from a helicopter on Ernie Bach's, Ernie Bach Jr.'s property on Route 1 in Norwood and never telling the police. Yeah. And the back then, you know, this was part of the, the phase where Letterman was dropping stuff, right? Yeah. And so we thought, we're going to drop stuff. So we got a, hol- a helicopter that brought in a giant pumpkin in a huge sack, you know, way up in the sky, and they drop it right on the property. We never told the police. We never told the FAA. And uh, and then the Norwood police uh, chief said, you guys will never be back in Norwood. You created this huge And you know what's interesting? If it were today with social media, you'd be worldwide attention. This would be the Drudge Report lead headline. (laughs) But you did it, and you still got a lot of attention, obviously. We did. And, you know, that was the one that traveled around. So for for instance, we did this. We tried to do it out in Saugus, and the city council in Saugus shut us down the day of, which created a huge news story. And so the the press were watching. Where's BCN going to take this pumpkin? And it became a story. But as each town told us, you can't do it here. It started to catch like wildfire. Right, exactly. And of course, Ernie Bach Jr. the great, he's, he's the greatest. He's like, yeah, we'll do it here. Yeah. And, and we did it. And we didn't tell anybody. We finally got it done. But we did some amazing promotions and I was in charge of that. We did a lot of press outreach, writing press releases, getting press for the radio station. It was a joy doing that. And then I, you know, we had to dabble in sales and to, mm. to get sponsors. So I worked with that. I worked with the DJs and, and the, you know, the, the staff. It was just an amazing well, and, time. And what's, what's cool about WBCN, for those of you listening outside of the New England area, it's, it's known nationwide as one of the top FM stations of its day. Yeah. Sam Copper, who I'm sure you know Love quite Sam. well, Great guy. Has, has resurrected a lot of the, the sound. And mm-hmm. now because of podcasting and other things, there's a resurgence of interest and people can actually find out about BCN, what it sounded like and who the personalities were. It was really uh, an amazing time because people, celebrities would just show up at the door because they were so well known. You know, uh, John Belushi uh, just showed up. Mm. Uh, I remember I was standing at the station and J- President Jimmy Carter was there. Okay. I mean, <laughs> so I met a president and you never knew who was coming to the radio station. We'll be back to today's episode in just a moment. This podcast is produced at Chart Productions with technical assistance from Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media. Now, if you're interested in developing your own podcast, whether for business or fun, please get in touch. We're now actively producing a whole bunch of great shows, and with our decades of broadcast experience, we can help you every step of the way produce and push up to the cloud a podcast you can be proud of. 
visit chartproductions.com, C-H-A-R-T productions.com, and get in touch if we can be of help. Now, back to today's episode. People who know you know that you're well-versed in Beatles and all that, but there's also a, a connection to one of the classic performers of all time, Tony Bennett, and it always seemed to some, perhaps, as a bit of a conundrum. How can this guy, Mr. Rock and Roll, <laughs> be chummy with and promote and be so close to Tony Bennett? So where does that happen? And that how? was another great gift that just happened accidentally. Um, you know, back in the day, of course, there was a this club called The Channel. Many, many people went there and loved it. And there was a local band that would play there called Tribe, and their manager was a guy named Danny Bennett. And uh, and I was turned on to Tribe. I loved them. I emceed a lot of their shows, and I met their manager, Danny Bennett. Had no idea it was Tony's son. And so um, I became friends with Danny Bennett, and he invited me to New York one day and said, hey, come and meet my dad. And I'm like, okay, who's your dad? Because he was so low-key. He never even said it. He said, oh, my dad's Tony. So I met Tony, and, and they gave me his album at the time, The Art of Excellence. And to this day, that album to me is my favorite album. It's just such a great record. And, of course, as an Italian kid, you know, mm. your parents would play Tony Bennett. Sure. So I had that reference point, you know. Yeah. Uh, God, my parents are going to be thrilled when they tell them I met Tony Bennett, right? And so um, through that, uh, I got the album in the mail. Remember, we used to send you boxes of oh, yeah. albums, samples. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and you get the box every week or the latest releases. And I brought home Out of Excellence, and I loved it. And so I went to, to Oedipus, and I said, you know, this album is fantastic. And so I arranged to play some Tony songs on BCN because you could back then. You know, the, the, the playlist was varied. I remember the playlist when I first started on, on our playlist that we were playing was New York, New York, Frank Sinatra, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. So it, didn't, it wasn't genre, mm. you know, centric. It was anything you wanted to play. And so that turned into the fact that I was the first rock and roll guy a rock radio station to play a Tony song. And that was the beginning of his resurgence. Yeah, er, what, late 80s, early 90s, yes. right? When he went acoustic mm -hmm. and did the MTV thing. And did the MTV Unplugged. I went to that. And so I was on the forefront of that with Danny. And so much so, and they were so grateful that at my request, Tony came to Boston and he did a private party for BCN clients at wow. the Hard Rock. I didn't know free. that. You know, oh my no charge. And we did a private party at the Hard Rock Cafe with all of our clients. And so my relationship with Tony continues to this day. I was with Danny Bennett a couple of weeks ago in New York, and Tony is just doing great, 92 on he's, tour. He's an enigma because you're talking about a guy who's had a career, what, 70-year career. Yeah. And uh, he still puts the mic down and does an acapella song or Fly two. Me to the moon. And blows the roof off. Uh, and he's an artist, as you know, mm -hmm. a, a great painter. Mm -hmm. uh, but what an amazing relationship. He did so much for me. Uh, I went to London with him uh, one time to handle his press for a week and a half. When he came to Boston, I would handle his backstage for him because my friendship got so strong. He took me to the White House when he played July 4th. Uh, I, through him, I met President Clinton. And uh, then he took me to the Super Bowl when he played the Super Bowl in Florida. <laughs> and it was just an amazing, yeah. generous man. And then, you know, a bunch of years ago, uh, he invited me to Abbey Road Studios where he was working on his duets record where he was mm -hmm. going to record a song with Paul 
and uh, another one with George Michael. So I went to that. Oh, my goodness. And so I'm still friends with Tony. He never forgets. And he, he, he did a beautiful sketch of me. I have one at home framed, a beautiful sketch of my wife. We've had dinner many times. I, we used to, like, he played Symphony Hall one day. And a couple hours before the show, we go to Brookline to my one of a little Italian restaurant that I loved back then. They used to serve the pasta in a skillet, you know. Mm. And he had a huge bowl of pasta. And then we went to the, the Symphony Hall, and he sang after like eating all this pasta. It's amazing. just the, the, an amazing man. You must have pinch marks on all over your body, uh, self-induced, right? Because I of tell all this. You. It's so cool though to to get to know an individual like a Paul McCartney or a, or a Tony Bennett and realize. First of all, they're regular people. They are. And sometimes the bigger they are, the nicer they are, I found, in having interviewed millions of celebrities. You know, Jordan, if any of the Beatles I met were not nice people, I would have been devastated. Mm. Uh, I interviewed George Harrison once over the phone. Mm -hmm. And this is an example of how generous these guys were. He was in Hawaii uh, at his home. And I was in Boston here, and I did an interview with him, and Carter Allen was on the interview with me. We interviewed George about the Traveling Wilburys mm. a little bit later in, the, in his career. And uh, after the interview, a few days later, the record rep guy came up and said, listen, George, uh, you know, loved the interview. And he said, if you, got, if you want an autographed album to give it to the record rep, he'd ship it to George, and George would autograph it and send it back. So I collected a few albums, you know, a couple from David Bieber, a couple from Carter, a couple from me. So we shipped, the record label guy shipped six or so albums to George. He autographed them all and shipped them back to us. Amazing. A Beatle. Yeah. No reason that he had to do any Larger of that. than life figures to most people. Yep. And when you get to know them, uh, often, oftentimes, many times, mm -hmm. they, they... And I think they appreciate uh, people like you who have the... The interest, understanding, you're, you know so much about what they've done. You, mm -hmm. you not just idolize them, but you understand them to yes. a certain extent. That, that comes across. And, you know, the greatest joy, and I, like you say, you must pinch yourself. Because when I was a kid, it's like, i got to meet those guys. <laughs> I have, you know, it's, I wouldn't call it a friendship, but an acquaintance with Ringo. I've interviewed him six or seven times. Every time we talk, he makes fun of my name, and I drop those in my show. You know, Chachi, you have a weirder name than I do. Chachi, Chachi, Chachi. And he, he makes fun of my name. And whenever I go to a show, I go back and meet him, and, he, and they say, hey, that's hey, Chachi. And he gives me a hug, and oh, I'm like, man. and he shakes your hand, which, you know, Ringo doesn't really shake hands. You know, he does the fist bump. Uh, but he's so kind and so much fun. And here he is, you know, his birthday was recently, 79 years old, the yeah. oldest Beatle. And he's on tour. He looks so healthy. Right, and he's, right. it's just unbelievable. Incredible. What a feeling. Yeah. What a ride. Well, that brings us to what you're doing now. I just want to reiterate mm -hmm. that Chachi is very much in, in play at the moment doing a bunch of really cool things. You mentioned the channel. There's a yes. podcast about the Channel Nightclub. There's a great podcast called Boston Venue, The Channel Story. Harry Boris, the owner of the channel. Uh, asked if I'd come on board to help uh, produce the podcast, and it's now uh, it's been running for a little bit, and people are really blown away by it. The download numbers are extraordinary because everyone has so many memories of the mm. channel, mm. a lot of them that I can't even remember, <laughs> but I do remember doing many many events at the channel. Yeah, 
and such a unique venue and the diversity of the acts there and the happenings going on backstage and the crazy stories. And, and so we have the, the Boston venue, uh, the Channel Story, which is a great podcast. People and, are enjoying that. And your, your podcast of, on the Beatles is called Get Back to the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And that's on the Boston Podcast Network and all the other yeah, various podcasts. all the other platforms. platforms. And this is you talking about your experiences and, and yeah. throwing in some trivia and having some fun? Yeah, we do different subjects. Um, this most recent one is with an author of a book called The Nems Story, Beatles Merchandise from 1964 to 66. And it's an exploration of all the crazy Beatles merch that was released back then. You could go in stores and they had everything from talcum powder you know, to, to, to shampoo. Uh, and so there's, uh, we talked about all those items. So that's one episode. My co-host is David Gallant, who's the Beatles professor at Suffolk University. So each podcast is a different subject. It could be a Beatles author. It could be a subject. It could be one song that we're deciding ciphering and uh, and we just talk about you know beetle stories it's great you might not have gone to harvard you walked through harvard walked yard, through harvard but yes. i would say you uh, deserve an honorary doctorate <laughs> in in all things beatles and and all things referencing music and culture people say that pop culture is is light and fluffy but it really is who we are and it's so much a part of our dna I and I, I was thinking the beatles are probably paramount in this regard. Maybe Sinatra would and Elvis in terms of music in our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people will say Michael Jackson later, but the Beatles still have a an amazing point in the center of it all, the center of the universe. It is truly extraordinary the phenomenon of the Beatles that to this day, you know, over 50 years later is still such a huge part of my generation, first generation Beatles fans and every generation after that and the fact that this movie yesterday just came out mm-hmm. And it, I loved it. It's doing extraordinarily well. They figured, you know, it might make ten million. The first weekend, it did sixteen to eighteen million. Mm-hmm. People are loving it. Ed Sheeran is fantastic in it, so it's attracting still another young audience. And I saw the Billboard charts where a lot of Beatles songs are spiking because of the film. It, it's just truly something that has never been seen before and has never recur- occurred again. And it's just these four guys from Liverpool. You know, Ringo was the poorest of the Beatles. They didn't even have a a bathroom in the house. He lived in the worst section of Liverpool. He wasn't supposed to make it out of his teen years because he hardly went to school. He was always in the hospital. And then John and Paul and George, and they're all from the same little area. Mm. And they create music that no one has ever heard or seen. It's so beloved to this day, and I'm blessed to be a part of it. It's it's truly an extraordinary thing to think that back in 64, it's like, I got to meet a Beatle, and here I am today. Come, coming full circle. It's, it's truly it's, amazing. And, and I would agree. You and I are similar in this regard. We're blessed to be able to, to do this work in this field. For so long. For so long, and in so many different ways and genres and, and styles and platforms. But to do what we want to do and meet and connect with some of these people and share those yeah. meetings with the world, it's and, really fun. And radio has changed a lot, but still great things are happening like this podcast. I mean, all uh, there's all these additional ways of reaching people and podcasting is, uh, is truly amazing. And my Beatles show is still on the air, Breakfast with the Beatles on WUMB 91.9 FM on Saturday morning, 6 to 8 a.m. But I'm also on in New Hampshire and Maine. On Seacoast Oldies 92.1, 97.1 on Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. to noon. And you... and. I'm always doing my social media when I'm on the air. So we're on the air talking, but we're talking to people on Facebook and the other platforms like Instagram. 
And, you know, I have listeners in Chile. I have this woman in Chile that <laughs> listens every week. Isn't that And great? we have people all over the yeah. country that listen. And now the people are picking it up in their cars across the country with the uh, whole streaming yeah. thing. It's wonderful. It's really a truly unique uh, situation. Well, I am tickled that we finally got together and I love shared, you, Jordan, shared coffee. We have been, like, on parallel paths in, in the same direction yes. for decades, and it's really a, a joy to meet well, you finally. Well, it's a pleasure here, and I, I always listen to you. You on your weekends when you're when you're on talking about different restaurants and wines. Oh and yeah, I love that and uh, and so I I admire the work that you've done. You, you and I, but you're truly well, amazing and you have such great chops. Your voice, you have a great radio voice. That and the body that you see, which is you look not like much. Ringo. <laughs> you're as thin like as Ringo. Ringo. So where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Boston? I grew up just a little south of here in a town called Randolph. Really? And I know you're on the South Shore now. Now I grew up in Boston. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, I'm, we're Boston kids all the yeah, way. You, know, you yeah. can't take it out of us. I don't care if I sound like this. I can still sound like, uh, hey, how you doing, ma? I can so still. So did you listen to BZAM when you were a kid? I what listened did you to, do? Uh, you know what? I My listening was BZAM. It was WEEI talk radio when they were called Talk Masters. Mm-hmm. I listened to HDH for the ball games. I was an mm-hmm. AM, more of an AM guy. Mm-hmm. But the ironic thing is my first radio job was at an AM WRKO, the big 68. Yeah. And people used to say to me, you know, I listen to you because I don't have an FM in my car. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. And then when I worked for an FM station, AM came back into Vogue. So I never quite hit uh, it. No, but it's been great. It's been I, great. I tell you, I, am, I remember when my dad bought a Dodge Coronet, and it actually had a radio in it. And it was amazing. But, you know, you know, one of the greatest DJs that I miss truly all the time, and I was friends with him, he used to put me on the air all the time, was Larry Glick. I oh. just Loved Larry Glick. A true legend and larger than life. Mm-hmm. And, and when you work at a place like WBZ, and people can check it out online It's if you're not familiar, it's one of those heritage stations with three letters, which yeah. means 50,000 at night all over the place. Yeah. And uh, I still walk in, even though it's a different building, I walk in whenever I'm there to do something live with a sense of pride and awe. Actually. Truly. And, you know, Bruds was a great guy. I used to talk to Brudnoy all the time. Brudnoy, well, you and Brudnoy did connect on occasion we on did. the air. One of the greatest regrets I have, I was just devastated when George Harrison died. And his producer, Kevin, called me and said, would you come on with Brudnoy tonight to talk about George? And I, I regret this. And I said, you know, I'm just too upset. And I wish I did. Mm. Uh, but Bruds uh, and I go back many years. He used to come to all my BCN movie screenings. Yes. And he'd say, uh, Chachi, please don't introduce me again. And so he'd go, no problem. I won't introduce you. So I'd get up and I'd do prizes and mm. numbers and give away things before the film. And I always said, hey, my favorite talk master's in the audience, David Brudnow. And I could <laughs> see him shake his head. Why are you introducing me? I'm like, you're the greatest. People need to know he that is, you're he here. Was, he was the greatest. You know, but such great personalities, DJs back then, just truly amazing. One more thing before we let you go. Yes. The prize closet. You uh, must have had one of the greatest prize closets in radio. That's a that's a radio term, but where all the the stuff is stashed. You mm-hmm. I, legend has it that yes. you were the man. You were the guy. I had the two people had a key to the prize closet. Me and David Bieber. Yeah, back then it's a little different now, but back then companies would send you everything and to give away on the air, to right. give away at events, and and yeah, I had a very substantial prize closet that was always filled. And people would just, people would come to me and say, can we go look in the prize closet? <laughs> and it was truly amazing. But Like a museum. Oh, man, I have so many memories. We used to bring, you know, a, a, a BCN van load of prizes, and we'd broadcast from Paragon Park at the beginning of every summer. You know, it's just, I'm just so days. blessed to have those memories, and uh, I wouldn't change anything. 
And uh, just, just the locks on the prize just closet locks, door. And we've did change it on occasion. <laughs> but they would send you, you know, we'd always say, okay, there's a new album by um, by U2. We need 104 copies. Oh, yeah, no problem. So they send us 104, you know. For the 104.1 yeah. WBCN. And, uh, yeah, so we had a very substantial prize closet, and we shared it with everybody and uh, listeners and alike. Well, thanks for sharing a few great stories with us uh, today, this is Judge. fun. I loved it, yeah. And congratulations, and everyone should listen to Get Back to the Beatles, the uh, podcast that he's doing regularly, as well as WUMB, Seacoast Radio, the channel podcast, yeah. and more. Hope Lots to see you again soon, my friend. You too, brother. It's good to see you. God bless you. Chachi Lepret, one of a kind. And somewhere, Paul McCartney is downloading this podcast. I am sure of it. Certainly Tony Bennett. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Please pass it along to others in the business and beyond. We really appreciate it. And many thanks, of course, to my compadres, Dan Tebow and Ken Carberry. In closing, as we end every show, be well so you can do good. <laughs>